Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. On DAB, Digital Radio and 1089 and 1053 AM, after the lights go out, on Talk Sport. I'm Steve Harmison. I represented England in 63 tests, 58 one-day nationals, and won the Ashes twice with my country. And I'm Leon McKenzie. I've experienced life as both a Premier League footballer and professional boxer. In this series, we focus on elite athletes and their transition from their sporting careers to civilian life and the struggles which have followed. Both Leon and I have had issues dealing with day-to-day life since departing the sporting arena. And during this series, we'll be speaking to several sports personalities who've experienced similar battles following their careers in elite sport. Tonight on TalkSport, we're in conversation with a man who's captained both Surrey and England's one-day side, as well as someone who's competed professionally in boxing and mixed martial arts, Adam Holyoke. Well, that was short, and it's hooked away. Six runs. Oh, well bowled. Beautifully bowled, Rob. There's nothing that uh, Adam Holyoke can't do now. Oh, fine shot. That could well be Holyoke's 50. And that's a fine performance by Adam Holyoke. Adam Holyoke enjoyed a unique career in the sporting arena, competing professionally in cricket, boxing and mixed martial arts. He is best known for his time as an all-rounder in cricket, captaining the England one-day side to the 1997 Sharjah Cup and playing in a total of four tests and 35 one-day internationals. In county cricket, he captained Surrey from 1997 until 2003, leading the side to nine titles, including the county championship in 1999, 2000 and 2002, and he was named a Wisden Cricketer of the Year for 2003. His time in boxing saw him fight in five pro bouts, winning three, and in recent times he has returned to cricket in a coaching capacity. We'll be joined by Adam in a moment. Steve, Adam is someone who you know from your cricket days. What can we expect from this interview? This is one I've been looking forward to. This is one I've been dreading Um, since the minute Adam agreed to come on. We are going to laugh. We are going to cry. Very, very close to his younger brother who sadly killed in a car crash. He is a great character, a man who's gone through extreme highs in cricket, extreme lows in life, but what a man. And if you've got Adam Holyoke as a friend, um, what a friend you've got. After the lights go out on Talk Sport. Well, let's give a big welcome to tonight's guest on After the Lights Go Out here on Talk Sport. It's a very good evening to a very good friend of mine, Adam Holyoke. How are you doing, Adam? Hey, mate. Hey, guys. How are you? You're good. very well. Very well. It's good, mate. Adam, you retired from first class cricket in 2004, age just 31. What were the factors in that decision? 
I don't know. It's like, I, I think I've probably lied a few times in the past about this. Um, I think I wanted to sort of play it cool and just say that I'm done with it and I wanted to leave kind of on those terms. But I think, you know, I was probably struggling after my brother's death and mm. and some other factors, you know. I mean, it gets hard, doesn't it? Mm. Towards the end of your career, you've got to probably rather than trying to find whether you're good enough, all those things that creep into your mind as an athlete, I think you've just got to, later in your career, you're just trying to drive yourself on to just achieve standards. Mm. And with everything that was going on in my life, with my brother dying and other things, I just I just didn't have the energy for it. So I hate to say I probably took the easy route out and and quit, which is probably not usually in my nature, but, but I did. This is the third series we've done this and this is the hardest part of it for me because my first trip into sort of senior cricket was England under-19s. One of my first roommates was Ben Holyoke. Being with Ben was fun. It was, it's been it's like being like, work with you now. What was it like playing and, you know, making your England debut with a brother, but being around your brother, seeing him grow up playing for Surrey? At the time, I don't think you really appreciate the gravity of what's going on. You know, we just started, we were just a couple kids just started out playing and it was a pretty easy path, probably even easier for Ben. You know, he just got a game for England when he was 18. So yeah. it was like, so he didn't really have, but uh, even for me, I mean, I had to probably do a lot more to get my, get out of my ability what I did. And, um, but even for me, it was a pretty cruisy road and everything just seemed to be, oh yeah, well, I, yeah. I look back and when we made our test debut, it was just like, oh, this was always going to happen and didn't seem like that big a deal. But then just recently with the Curran boys playing and then um, who's those other brothers who just played? Just Overton. The Overton brothers, sorry. Um, and just seeing people write, you know, these are the only brothers to play this century or, you know, even back then it was the, that millennium. Like, mm. you know, we were the only... And you look back and you go, wow, that was actually, that was actually something, wasn't it? But mm. at the time... It, I mean, you proud, of course you are, but you just don't realise how mm. big it is until afterwards, I don't think. The main thing for me is, which I, I can relate to, when you lose, like, a, a family member, like you've done, oh, I lost, like, my sister to suicide, I've lost my uncle to suicide, and there's so many things that, you know, it's really sort of touching them, and I can see when you say that, Steve, that it's how you sort of approach this with Adam, because it's it's so delicate, and because mm. you know them both so well... It's, it's always important. It's what makes it special to have these these conversations. It makes it special to to really highlight the things that happen in, in, in life that sport doesn't prepare us for. With Ben uh, passing, do you feel that was probably the, the real reason to why you sort of had to retire in that respect? Did it affect your mind? Yeah, it really did affect my mind. It really did. And it's weird looking back on that whole period and, and trying to like process what happened but you know like I remember him from such a young age and the people who know him I mean you know him from professional cricket ages and like but uh, when I think back to him I, I, we think back to when he was six or seven mm. or you know and playing in the backyard and we've all got our family and we've all got those memories with our own family but and then the journey of grief is such a strange one it's, it's such a strange it's hard, like, isn't it? because there, um, at first there's just denial and and then there's all the different stages and every time I think I've oh this is what grief's about there's another stage so at first it was just denial I just couldn't I was expecting him to just walk through the door and then you move on to the next stage and then there's anger like why does this happen to him like why um, and then you go through trying to process it probably 
again and then you think you threw it and then after five years I, it hit me hard again mm. after I'd retired and then all of a sudden there's another stage different phases isn't different it? phases different phases and you're coming back to the survey team without your brother that's that's hard reminders. Yourself, isn't it? Mm. yeah and just being back here mm. it's just simple things like you know it doesn't necessarily have to be a death but you have sometimes it's a song or a smell or a place and these things bring back memories, like really vivid memories. You came back a couple of months later, mm. back into the Surrey dressing room. Was there any back of your mind going, I can't go back in that? It was weird. Um, again, if we go back to what we are talking about, the couple of stages of grief, I always say grief's relative to what you've been through before. I mean, one of the hardest things I ever had was when we lost Graham Kersey. You talked yeah. about... So before Graham Kersey died in 1996, I'd finished an England A tour out there and then I stayed behind for a week and we just hung out and then he dropped me to the airport and on the way from the airport driving up to Carl Rackman's farm he crashed and died so by the time I landed that had happened. Mm. Before that the worst thing that had ever happened to me is I scored a duck in a game of cricket. Yeah. Oh, there was like, Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that hit me really really hard, hard yeah. and I couldn't understand why this was happening. It's like if you take a toy off of your kid when they're two years old, they go to pieces like it's the end of the world because that's the worst thing that's ever happened to them at that time. And as we go through life, unfortunately, or it's just the cycle of life, we encounter these things and the longer we're here, the more chance there is for these things to happen. But up until that point, nothing had, like I said, the worst thing had happened is I'd played badly in a game of cricket and I thought I'd drive home slumped over my steering wheel because I'd scored a duck or something. Mm -hmm. But then it sort of extends you and... Well, that hit me really hard, Graham Kersey's death. Um, probably my one of my top five friends in the world at that time. And then, yeah, then my brother as well. Mm. So it was just... How uh, important were you sorry, teammates? The most important thing. Your family's really important, but I think also you're kind of conscious not to try and bring them down as well. So you don't necessarily tell them the negative stuff that's going on. You try and... But with your mates, you can... Like I said, you said we had great guys in our team. I was able to be vulnerable in front of, mm. and, and it's not in my nature, you know, I mean, yeah. it's not in my nature to be um, vulnerable. Yeah. So, but because of the guys in my team, I, I was able to. I'd never, I don't think I totally ever showed exactly how vulnerable I was, but mm. um, that's interesting. It's always like the same. I, I was quite a bubbly person in, in the change rooms when, when I was in, in the teams that I was in. And I can see you're a bubbly character, Adam, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, like, when you've got that sort of close unity within your team and you, you're going in, there's a big form of acting that comes into play, 100%. you know. Yeah. You know, with us guys, there's a big form of acting that comes in. I can't tell you how many times I've acted going into a change room mm. and they know what I'm like and my personality. But sometimes I'd go into the change room and I'm literally dying inside. Mm. But yes. how I actually communicate and articulate that oh yeah I'm just me still and yeah. I'm actually like struggling and you well, are you are close with your teammates but you fall into you f- a role you, you find it hard yeah. to communicate I don't know if you have that Steve, yeah, yeah, yeah. you yeah, know like yeah. times where you feel like I'm really not doing mm. well but let me just I there don't want to bring the, my teams down I don't want to bring the energy down I went through the same thing obviously mm-hmm. I came back after my brothers died um, other with his death and I actually rang back and said hey yeah yeah I'll just need a couple of days off I'll be back like on Monday, I just think I was in shock at the time. I literally, I'd just been told he'd, he'd, he'd been told he was dead, died half an hour ago. So I rang up Keith Medlicott, our coach, and just said, "Hey, look, Ben's just died. I won't get on the flight tomorrow, but I'll be back on Monday." Mm. And he said, "Mate, you're in shock." Mm. Like, 
our mind is the most scariest thing. Like for me, people say to me, oh my God, you're handling it so well. But it's mm. like because of our professionalism, mm. and I'm not saying we're amazing professionals or any of that, but it's just the nature of professional mm. sport. You are engrossed in what you have to be, otherwise you just get found out. So therefore your mind isn't free to go off in the area that it wants to go. When you're left alone with your thoughts, you're on there. You've got to give, you has to think about what you're doing. You can't, there's no space to be out on the football pitch thinking about your kids at home or, or mm. something, you know, oh, you know, I didn't put the rubbish out. So therefore, just by the nature, very nature of mm. your sport, you can't go off thinking about the real traumas in your life. Mm. So I went into the ground I'd get in there I would, all that banter before the game started mm-hmm. that great so that would my mind would be off it and I'm engrossed I'm in it play the game six seven hours come off the field banter with the players I'm in 100% in it, putting my little facade on my acting yeah get in the car drive home get home absolutely go to pieces because I've now all I've done is that 12 hours that I've been acting for you need a release for yeah. that so now it just comes out at home mm. people used to go up to my wife and say, wow, it's unbelievable how he's handling it. He's so strong. And she used to say, she's come and go, you don't see him at home. You don't see him at home. So, and how difficult was that for your wife? Well, we divorced. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> probably yeah. pretty. I mean, not, like, not off the you, back you, of that. You, you, probably you, because you, I was just a bad both. husband. But, <laughs> yeah, but, um, but it, it was a tough time for her. And I, I 100% changed as a person. Um, it changed me. I don't know how those things, they change you. That's mm. just, that's who you are you are sort of you become your journey don't you so Adam since retiring you had your share of well publicised financial problems after the cricket career was over you returned to Western Australia to work for the family business and development investment capital company was it just the crash that made that go wrong uh, yeah that was that was one definitely one thing I mean um, I think probably it would be easy to hide behind the crash and just mm. say it was that because so many people got smashed by that but there's a number of sort of factors in it. I'd done pretty well during my time playing cricket. I didn't get paid what they get paid now or anything like that. But um, as soon as I got any kind of money together back then, I bought a, I bought a property in Clapham just purely because I couldn't be bothered driving all the way out from out there. So I just tried to get somewhere close. And then that area took off. And, and then I thought, wow, I've made more money from this property than I have from playing cricket. So then I kept on, so I just kept on buying properties just to... <laughs> just getting more and more and more. By the time I finished, I had four properties in London and they were all gone up like exponentially. So I thought I was Richard Branson, do you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, I'd hadn't, I didn't know anything else other than success on the cricket field mm. or financial success. I was like, well, that's just the way to go. So I'd never experienced a downturn in the economy. I'd never experienced anything like that. So I just think we just, a little bit of going into it a little bit without, like I said, I thought I was... Bill Gates, you know, I thought yeah. I was a financial guru, but in reality, I'd just been fortunate with a few things that I'd done, and I was quite inexperienced. And then also, so I put all my, um, all the stuff I did was in my name, and I'd signed mm-hmm. personal guarantees. So when that company went down, it took me personally with it. So not quite as smart as I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but there's just another another thing to deal with, and it's just weird because it was hard. But also, I started, I came from nothing anyway. So mm. after you know, the first six months, I was like, oh, this is terrible. This is so bad. And then and then one day I was like, actually, I'm, I'm not doing anything any different here. My, mm. my house is a bit smaller and my car is a bit slower. I don't drive fast anyway. And 
my friends are it sorted my friends out because the ones mm-hmm. who really liked me stayed with me yeah and the ones who didn't took off so it was like wow this is actually not too bad and like you know it's not like i'm living in the street or anything mm-hmm. like that i've you know obviously not incredibly well off or anything like that but uh, i'm happy you know like i'm like i'm living in the moment i just love the company of my, my kids and my friends and i don't need a lot i, I just and that probably if that hadn't it's, happened it's lessons lessons and then the other thing that came about was that i had to hustle i had to try and how am i going to feed my family and then the things i've done in the quest to do that i would never have done if i'd just been in that apathetic state of having finances at my disposal i, I mean the money i had i could not have spent in, i looked at it i yeah. could not have spent it in 20 lifetimes the way i live i mean you just look at my clothes, mate. I don't. Just, <laughs> I don't I've got no. I don't wear terrible clothes. I don't. I don't like cars. I don't gamble. I don't drink a lot. So I lead a pretty simple life. I just enjoy hanging with my mates. So I don't need money. So, mm. but it took me to lose it to actually realize. Right. That, That's exactly what I was just gonna say. Yeah. Like sometimes you have to lose before you win again. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And um, I lost everything as well mm. in, in terms of I've experienced money mm. and I've experienced not having it. But the interesting thing about that as well is. It made me such a better person mm. when I lost everything. And I'm mm. talking, you know, we go through the divorces and stuff yeah. like that, right? And when that all was taken away from me, it strips you right back to actually looking at everything. And even with like your circles and mm. everything that comes with the high life and all that. And again, we find it within ourselves. Like I had to go out and feed my family. I had to go and get a job. Mm. Like that was the reality for me, like after football I had to go and work but it was such a humbling experience it, it brings such a different balance to your life and thinking like okay yeah once once upon a time on a thousand thousand pounds a week and all that love and tension that you get that comes with it yeah. and um when you lose everything you really do win sometimes mm. you appreciate your friends are then yeah it's hard work to be around people who have hit the rock bottom yeah. so they need to be really care about you to hang around you because it's very easy if someone's going through a hard time to just not answer the phone, ask that person again, ring it. So you do really find that out. You find out the people who really do like you for you and not for what you've got or what you can do for them. So, because mm. when you've got nothing, you can't do much for yeah. people. So, how um, difficult was, you know, the, was it on the sort of family as well? You Because you, you had to go bankrupt. Mm-hmm, that's right. And yeah. that is bottom. That is bottom, yeah. What does is what is bankrupt mean in, in, in Australia? How difficult was, was that? It was tough. I mean, what sort of, what sort of, money are we talking here oh, if you don't mind me no asking. like well a lot what, what, what? so i had about four or five million dollars of my own money and the company was worth tens of millions of dollars i put a million dollars in to start that company off with mm. my brother and my dad and and i always thought i felt like i was at the casino i thought well if i lose that i've still got my money over here and that's where i'm talking about the financial naivety of it yeah. i didn't realize that they'd come and take when it went down it went down so hard that they came and took all my personal money off me as well. Wow. That was hard in itself because you back to zero. I mean, like I said, I was set. I was, for the six years since I retired, all I'd do is try and work out where I was going to go on holiday next. Actually, probably one of the unhappiest periods in my life because I wasn't doing it. I had no ambition. I was just sitting there. I retired, retired, not just retired from cricket. I was like, I don't have to do anything. I just had money and like, it was just completely apathetic on life. So probably too much time to think and... So then when I, when I lost it, then, I've, like I said, I've got to try and work out how I'm going to get out of this mess. And then you're alive. Mm. Then you really know you're alive when 
where's my well, how am I going to do this well bankruptcy hits you and then you know you have to start all over again you said you came from nothing how did you find friends first and foremost but then you know the strength to sort of go and do it again well it was weird because there was one there was just one creditor I mean everyone was prepared to let us to try and play out of it mm-hmm. but there was one creditor that just said nah and made it very public went out of his way to try and thought that we'd done it in an attempt to steal money or something like that. It was like, I'm going to steal it. If I've stolen the money, I'm like, not very well because I haven't got any myself. Yeah. So, but he just, that person couldn't get it out of their head. And that's fine. You know, that's, I get it. If I'd invest in something, I don't hold any you know, grudge against that person. I, was, I, I guess the one disappointment is that I wanted to play my way out of it and try and get the other investors their money mm-hmm. back. Um, but mm-hmm. it is what it is. I think the low light for me was I was going up to Papua New Guinea, up to Port Moresby, and I'd go up there and help out. Some um, some of the poorer people up there, the street kids up in, uh, um, and I went to the airport. I didn't really read the details of what bankruptcy entailed, so mm-hmm. I got to the airport, went my passport, and went to go to the thing. And the next minute, I was surrounded by four feds. They're just like, mate, where they thought I was trying to skip the country to get out. I was like, and you can't travel, so yeah. you can't travel for four years or something like that. So what when you're bankrupt? Yeah, yeah. yeah really? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't know that. Yeah. That's seven years if you were found to be had done it like in a bad way, and it's four years just if you hand your hands up, yeah, yeah, right. um, yeah, yeah. So they were like, Well, it's just the GFC that got us. Um, hmm. so they said you got to do four years. So I couldn't leave the country for four years, I could, but I had to go through a process of saying to people, I'm going away to earn money, which made it hard because one of my ideas to get back and earn some money, come yeah. back to England, where. Yeah. I'm known because yeah. I went to Australia to sort of kind of get away from that. But, um, yeah, so I'm going up to Port Moresby up there. Um, I don't know if you know about much about Port Moresby, but no. on the scale of most livable cities, I think like, number one is Sydney and then maybe somewhere in Italy or something like that. But the last is Port Moresby, which is the most unlivable city in the world. So I was heading there to help out some homeless up there and take up some cricket kit and I got a tap on the shoulder and... I had to get dragged back through customs. They wanted to handcuff me. I said, that's not happening. Yeah. So um, I said, I'll walk out of here, but I'm not being handcuffed. So that was, I think that was all time low when he can't even go and help, help some people. Help people so yeah. that was definitely the all, all time low as far as the financial mm. side of things. And then I got out of there. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do now? How am I going to get out of this? And then that journey really began. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparcel Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparcel Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. 
That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST. Again. After the lights go out, Leon McKenzie and Steve Harmison in conversation with Adam Hollyoke on Talk Sport. Adam, when most cricketers retire from the sport, the route of professional boxing and mixed martial arts is one which none have ever gone down. How did you get involved in that? Um, well, obviously we've spoken about me losing my money. So it literally, when I did it, I just did it as a one-off fight, my first fight. But then the fights just kept coming as I kept winning. So, And I was on this mad roller coaster of going boxing fight, MMA fight, boxing, two MMA fights, boxing, combat eight. So I kind of just got stuck on the into the life and I did it for four or five years I fought Dubai Jakarta New Zealand England all around Australia so yeah it just it wasn't meant to be that way but when you're hustling you just got to go the direction where your life takes you I mean I'd you know I'd done boxing since I was 12 and I've always been into it and I was just down the local boxing gym and and this guy um the, the gym owner asked me I just saw me I was actually doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu and wrestling at the time so I was just doing that and then I turned up and they changed the time, so it was a boxing session. Mm. So the guy said, oh, do you want to stay? We're doing striking, so I know you're a wrestler, so you can come back. We've changed the time. It's in another hour. I said, oh, no, I'll stay. So then I stayed, but he didn't know that at that stage I'd been boxing since I was 12. So then after a bit, he said, you've done this before, haven't you? So I said, yeah. He said, how much? I said, yeah, quite a bit. So he said, oh, would you be interested in coming down? We've um, got the Queensland champion coming. He's got a fight coming up and your build and size, would you... So look, I won't be able to go many rounds, but I'll come in and do the rounds that I can because I'm not very fit. So I went in and I'd, I knocked him out. So um, You knocked out the guy that they said to... Yeah, to spy, yeah. <laughs> so, Accidentally. So it was like... Um, so right, then brilliant. he said, oh, look, would you be interested in fighting professionally? And I was like, nah, nah, I'm too old, like not interested blah 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 um, and then we sort of left it at that then I came back in I was training and and, and it didn't cross my mind the, the, the financial side of things I was just like nah I just thought I'm too old and, and then he came back how in how old was you at the time? Uh, I'm going to say 40 40 really? 40, yeah so um, he then came in one day and said look you know, would you be interested in the fight this promoter said I'll give you um, $10,000 um, this person's pulled out but they need a headline act would you come in and fight and I was like when's the fight <laughs> I was like Saturday I was like what day is today it was like Tuesday so I said well I could get and then I was like look I don't think so and he said it'd be pretty cool and he this might this guy's become my best mate he mm. said pretty cool to say you're the captain of England and you had a professional fight and I was like yeah that'd be pretty cool wouldn't it? <laughs> so I said okay I could get in a fight down the pub so yeah. well, I've got not? gloves on they've got a referee and you know if I get hurt they'll stop it so I went there and I and I knocked that guy out and um, and then when I came back to the gym, all the wrestlers and the jiu-jitsu guys were like, hang on, you just got a professional knockout in boxing. Would you be interested in MMA? So I'm like, nah. And then my, my, my trainer was like, pretty cool to say that <laughs> yeah. you're like England cricket captain, professional boxer. And I was like, yeah. So he, I keep falling for the same trick. <laughs> so then I was like walking into the cage, like going, what the hell am I doing? I don't here? know what you're doing to be honest. <laughs> what am I doing? What am I doing? So I mean, um, you did that, didn't you? You came out of obviously I was one sport and arena yeah. and going straight into to another one. Yeah, I've, I mean, I must there's admit, a few footballers that have done it. So there's no way there's I could a, even a, thought I've, about it. Curtis Woodhouse is probably the most successful one having that? Curtis Woodhouse. It was a it was yeah. a former. A professional footballer 
he actually retired from football at about 26 years old and then went on to win a British title in his weight category, which was just like phenomenal. I came along shortly after. I turned professional at 35. I jumped into a boxing ring at 35 professionally. I'm from a famous boxing family. My uncle Duke being a former three-time world champion and my dad Clinton being a British and European champion actually Mm. fought Sugar Ray Leonard in the Montreal Olympics in oh, 1976, right. yeah. So I'm know. from a good. What what many good footballers? Stop, yeah, what, yeah. Stop. I'm from good stock. I'm from good stock, mate. Don't worry about don't that. Don't break into yeah, your don't house. Worry about that, <laughs> but I think you know what was interesting from my stories is that, as you said, you've been boxing from 12 years old. I've been in gyms and in that mm. gyms and watching my dad and my uncle Duke and everyone from best part of eight years old. Yeah. So when you're growing up. And it's in your, I mean, I should, I'm really a boxer turned footballer, mm-hmm. really and truly, but mm-hmm. it went the other way around. There's no cricketers that have gone into professional boxing after properly. No. <laughs> Shall I say? Fred had one fight, but he won't fight. No, but in, in the level, you know, from professional boxing um, and then into like martial arts, mm. what would you say out of the two is the hardest in terms of training and the fighting aspect of it all? Out of the three, I still think bowling in cricket is the hardest. What? The, oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Oh, Steve, spat me. What's going on no, here? Like, what? And I'm not just saying that because Steve's here. I've said that to... You, I've said that to... Elaborate, elaborate in that term because getting punched in the face or getting grabbed or <laughs> strangled or kicked or whatever. But if you're a good boxer, you, you can have a fight where you don't get punched in the face that many times. If you're a bowler, there's eight times your body weight going through your front foot every time you let go of a ball. And the re- the rest of your body just shudders, and it keeps going, and then you're on different things. So the whole body, so you're getting just you're, with that pound just, oh, compact. That, that. You are you are getting impact every time you do your job. Where if you're in a boxing ring, you could go in a ring, and you know, I'm not saying boxing is is not is not harder than than cricket or bowling or anything, but for the impact that has on your body, if you're good at what you do from mm. a boxing point of view, you can get out of the way of a punch. You've got no choice when you're bowling. You run in and, and then the next day you do it again. The next day you do it again. And so it's constant after a while. Mentally oh, as well. Um, mentally yeah. just I mean I wasn't any, I wasn't a bowler like I was just a fourth bowler in a side. So I wasn't leading the attacks. So I didn't bowl the amount of overs that Steve had to bowl. And I had a horrible action. <laughs> <laughs> so therefore but that's actually a bad thing bad because thing, the, yeah. just the amount of strain that I put on my body, so it mm. really hurt. Every, and you got, you got to turn around, you got to run and go. It'll literally be like saying, okay, I've got to let this person punch me in the face again. Again, yeah. And mm. then you've got to run in and do it. And it's so painful. But out of boxing and MMA, I found boxing harder just purely because of the work rate. For me, stamina was a, was an issue. Whereas with uh, MMA, I felt that I could control the pace of the fight, little gloves. And I felt that because people were worried about my power, that I could actually slow the pace of the fight down a lot of faking, a lot of fainting and balking, and therefore, in a fifteen-minute fight, I could only have to might only have to work for two or three minutes of that fight. So, mm. but with boxing, the gloves are small, are bigger, and the, and people aren't and they're in and they're making you work every minute of every round, and uh, that yeah. for me was probably my downfall. Um, well, fair play on that answer because yeah. you had five fights, yeah. three wins, and two losses. Yeah. How did those losses feel? Because they hurt well, you me. Don't. Oh, I, gonna, I, thought, I thought you were going to say no, I was undefeated. I was about I, to like, bounce no, no, you. No, no. <laughs> I, I, I had eleven pro fights. Yeah. 
I lost two of my title fights. I fought for English title and Southern Air title when I was yeah. 38, 39 years old yeah. at the time of losing those titles. The last fight, it didn't hurt me because I'd given my all. Mm-hmm. So literally, I gave my everything, literally collapsed in the in the ring, literally through exhaust, just knackered. Yeah. The first one hurt me badly because I was just you like... You you were unbeatable. Not that I thought I was unbeatable, but I, I knew I could beat this guy that was in front yeah, of me. But yeah. Father Time said... <laughs> no you can't <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like I said to, I remember going back after about two rounds in and I said to my dad because my dad was my trainer and I said to my dad dad it's not there it's, something's wrong I'm not there it's not there it's not me mm. I can't find it I can't find it dad that's what I can't find it I can't I can beat this guy I can't find it yeah, yeah, yeah. so but my, you know when the clock's ticking yeah you gotta solve that problem fast do you see what I mean yeah and I had that my second fight because at that stage I'd been like knocking everyone out and sparring I'd knocked the first guy and that I'd gone and I'd had another couple of fights something called Combat 8 which is like a mix between MMA and boxing and knocked the guy out there so I was on this roll I actually probably have got a bigger ego I'm thinking I'm working <laughs> in that I am probably think I'm better than I am and I um, I thought at one stage oh, it's only a matter of time before I fight for the world title here like, so um, and then I got in there and the same thing happened I had an evening where it wasn't happening for me and this guy was just tap and move tap and move and I was just chasing after him, trying to take his head off. And mm. before I knew it, the fight was over and I'd been outpointed. And then it is really hard. It's really hard and humbling. Again, it's mm. another thing that you've got to try and learn how to cope with in life. Mm. So, Steve, uh, have you ever thought about putting on the gloves, mate? No. But it was sometimes in when it was raining and in a cricket dressing room, you'd put the helmet on, put the batting gloves on. And if there's been some. A little bit of aggro, so you is know. Is that how you used to settle things? Yeah, yeah sometimes. Uh, Adam, is that how you used oh, to settle things? senior players used to do. Oh, right, in the ring, so they shut the doors, yeah. move the cases out of the way, open the thing, two helmets on, boxing gloves, off you go, and oh, eventually a senior player would stop it and say, "Is that what happened at Durham?" Is sometimes it happened at Durham. Yeah, we, we did it. But did, you, did was, you have any? There was one time. Uh, there was one time. Alex Tudor, our great friend from Talksport, yeah, no, Alex. Yeah, yeah no, Alex. Yeah. He um, he tells a story when. He had a little bit of a sparring contest with Adam. So the actual story goes back. Oh, please, can't, I can't wait to hear this because after we finish this, I'm going to... Yeah, I do know him. I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to give it to him if it's what I think it is. He doesn't even need the mic. He's so loud, that guy. So um, so what happened is, and you'll be able to um, imagine this scenario. So I took him and my brother down to a, a boxing gym in Tooting, like a real underneath a pub. It was like a just hardcore... So they were just, a, both of them were a little bit like, what the hell is this? Because my brother didn't was not into fighting at all. And um, we went there and it came to the end and end of the session and, and my my trainer said, oh, look, why don't you guys spar? Adam, don't hit Tudes in the face, just hit to the body and just give him a little feel for what it's like. So I said, okay. So I did it and Tudes came out like really defensive and but then he, and he wasn't throwing a punch so I'd have to lead to the body and then he was just like clipping me over the top. So at the end of it, for about a year or two years, it was two years of frustration. Oh, I remember when I beat you up that time in two, like, you know. <laughs> Is that like, what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, remember, big, remember big bro, big bro, remember when I beat you up in two, like that. So I was like, you didn't beat me up. Like, I wasn't allowed to hit you in the face. So this went on. Anyway, we had a rain break. So we got, had the boxing gloves with the big 16-ounce gloves on and we said, and he was, and he's still now in his mind, He's forgotten that I wasn't allowed to punch him in the face. He's built it up in his mind that he's beaten me up. <laughs> so he got down there and he said, Cole, Cole, let me in, let me have a go. Let me have a go, big bro. <laughs> so I go in there and then, so he came out and he was, I think he thought, remembered back to the last time. So, but this time I said, look, I'll hit you in the head. Yeah, yeah, you can do what you want. Like that. So 
we started sparring and he's and he's when he's throwing his jab he's just bringing it back really low and I said look you need to bring the so I'm giving him tips while we're going so um, he jabs out his left jab and I said okay I just like mimed as if I'm going to like throw the right hand but he just wasn't really picking up with what's going on and then it happened again so I just threw a little short right hand I wasn't expecting <laughs> I wasn't expecting to, to drop him <laughs> Yes, Alex. So he kind of starts coming. I'm like, holy hell, I've just knocked our opening bowler out. <laughs> he just went onto the floor. I'm like, oh, no. So, And it was as if the God was against us that day because the rain stopped, sun came out, and we came, and literally as we were picking him up on the floor, the umpires came in and they were like, okay, um, we boys, we're out there in half an hour. And all the guys were like, holy, our captain's just knocked our opening bowler out. <laughs> Brilliant. That's a brilliant story. So, Just with a little relaxed right hand. Oh, it was probably, I, I, I say it was relaxed, but I was probably, there might have been a little bit of two years of frustration. <laughs> After the lights go out on Talk Sport. Adam, after your time in MMA and pro boxing, you returned to cricket and took up a few coaching roles in the game. Prior to this, did you ever see yourself returning to cricket? I didn't. Um, I thought my time with cricket was done. I thought I'd burnt my bridges. I really thought that well, there was no way uh, forward. I'd, I'd divorced with my wife, and as you know, with the divorce, I couldn't just take my kids. I was on the Gold Coast, so I couldn't mm. see how I was going to get back into cricket because I'd have to come back to England, where I was known in Australia. No one really knows who I am. Obviously, she wouldn't allow me to just take the kids, and she yeah. probably didn't want to go <laughs> come back with me. So um, I was stuck. And then it was actually my dad, who's who's my best mate as well. He um, he just said to me, look, stop being, a you know, pathetic and mm-hmm. just get your act together. Get on the phone back to England and say you want to get back into coaching. So I rang up. There's a guy called Gordon Lord, who you yep. all know. Yeah, he, yeah. He'd been pestering me for two decades to come back and, and coach back in, in English. He said, you'd be a great coach. Come back and coach. So I rang him up. I said, Gordon, I'm ready to come back, mate. Um, I want to come back and do some coaching. And he said, Unbelievable. I resigned a week ago <laughs> from oh, no. he was the head of coaches. So he said, how well do you get on with Andrew Strauss? And I went, not very well, because all I remembered ever saying to Strauss, he was just sledging him yeah. from the, upper, the other end. So he was the opening batsman for Middlesex. And all I did was just, I wasn't a very nice person when we played. So I thought, I rang him up. I was like, mate, you know, I'm interested. And he was like, he was great. He said, mm. mate, we'd love to have you back. We'd love, and then I thought I'd be starting out for... Peckham second 11 or something like mm. that do you know what I mean and um, he said oh we've got a series against South Africa and I'm like who's that he's like England I was like wow so I went straight back and my first gig back was with England in the T20 against South Africa so wow you enjoy it I loved it that was mm. when I realised I needed to be back in I just I just loved it I was just felt alive again for and I, and I didn't realise that coaching could be as rewarding as, as playing yeah, in 2017 you went to Afghanistan coaching yeah. the T20 and that took an amazing turn of events. Again, I mean, like we talk about the journey, um, I don't think under normal circumstances I would have gone there, but I was offered quite a lot of money to go out to Afghanistan and coach. And it was basically they gave the money up front and they said, if anything happens security-wise, that you'll be able to get on the next plane and go home. We got out there and they told me the security would be, you know, outstanding. I asked some of the Australian um, security companies and English, some guys who were controlling the England um yeah cricket tours they said don't go it's too dangerous um i was like i don't really think they know what they're talking about it turns out they did because um the first day i was there 
they set a bomb off and killed nine of our security. I mean, we had amazing security. We had bulletproof cars, like guys around us with machine guns. But a suicide bomber blew up nine of our security. Um, I, I've never anything like that. Talk about humbling. Like I felt the blast go through my body. Again, just another experience that you just can't comprehend, really. So um, you didn't get in a plane and go home. No, I didn't. Um, you stayed. Yeah, the people out there have been amazing. I mean, they just love cricket, and it's not their fault. They're in a, this country where all this is going on, and I became really close with them when I was out there. They'd spent years playing in this tournament, and you can see when it happened, they f- they were just gutted. They were just mm. devastated. Like this is it. We're never getting cricket back here ever again. This is we had our chance and we've done it. So I was with Dean Jones, mm. uh, the late Dean Jones, and um, who else was that? Herschel Gibbs. Got, he just got on the plane and went home, which I, I don't blame anyone who went home. It's their choice. But I just had my um. I said of my dad's words in my ears. He was like, "Mate, you stay till the job's done." Yeah. Don't get me wrong. My first instinct was get on the plane and get yeah. the hell out of there because I, mean, I said I don't want to make that decision now because I'm emotional. Mm. And my first this fight or flight. If we're you know in an altercation, then I might fight. But when someone's blown nine people up, it's not. There's no fighting. You just mm-hmm. you can get taken out at any stage. And mm-hmm. I did feel very vulnerable at that stage. So. My first reaction was to get on the plane and then I didn't, I said, no, I'm not going to make a decision tonight. I'm going to think about it. And, and like I said, I spoke to my dad, who again, is my best mate, and he was like, find out, said, get all the facts, find everything out. And they said they're going to increase the security, give me his presidential security. So, I mean, but, it must have been tough, right? Because cool. you got three children. Three children, yeah. Did they go through your mind at the time? They did. I mean, there's so many things, yeah. so many factors going through my mind. And, my mum wanted me to come home. My dad said, stay till the job's done. Mm. Um, a lot of people wanted me to come home, but then I kind of thought, well, I'm making myself sound like I'm some sort of saint here, but I'm not. I just knew that I would, if I'd backed out then, that I it wouldn't be... Wouldn't sit well with you. Wouldn't sit well with me. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not sitting here claiming to be, a, like, you know, I'm on here saying, oh, I did this for charity. and I did I'm not that person. Like, I'm flawed. Mm. I'm a, a horribly flawed character. I've got many parts of my character which I'm still working on so so I'm not trying to sit here and claim to be some amazing person because what do you do to work on your what you need to work on for yourself do you meditate do you, do you, do you have, yeah. I mean I have therapy yeah so that's yeah. what helps me from time to time just to come out of my mm. story a little bit and yeah. sometimes I just need to chat you know yeah what what, do, what helps for you I mean I've done that as well I've, I've had I've you know I've, I've spoken to a psychologist quite a few times um, I read a lot a lot of self-help stuff. I just seek knowledge. I seek information. I try and seek perspective from a lot of different people, and and I try and process and try and I try and solve the problems on my mm. own, which I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not saying that's right, but it seems to be working for me. So I don't suffer depression or anything like that. I've had some times in my life where I'm understandably sad and mm. and feel like things are going against me, but but you understand depression. And just being sad, right? Yeah, like, I think so. I think I think yeah. I do. I think I do. And and I think I've had times where a doctors inferred that I might have depression. And I'm like, well, you know, like, hey, my brother just died. I'm, I'm kind of like, mm. one way or the other, I don't care. If they tell me you got depression, you got depression. But I'm mm. really, really vigilant. And like, uh, and it sounds so boring and it's completely cliche, but I'm really vigilant with my mental health. Mm. I train every day. 
not for fitness. <laughs> to be said, I, I mean, when I saw you, Adam, I, I did say I could see that you train a little bit. Still. I haven't trained since I haven't trained for a while. <laughs> but no, I, you're I, in good shape, mate. Yeah, not so good at the moment. But I, I, and I and I'm actually I probably the last few days I've started finding myself getting a bit irritated. And in the past, I'd be like, oh, what's going on? I know what's going on. I haven't been drinking enough water, haven't eaten enough veggies, haven't been getting quality eight hours sleep at the same time every day. Yeah. And I haven't been exercising. So therefore, I'm just feeling a little bit off. Yeah. kilter at the moment and there for me you can say I mean I have some friends who ring me up and they start wanting, and they want to talk you know we've all got those friends who want to mm. be hours on the phone talking and I like now I say listen I'm here for you but you need to do something for me you need to do this you need to get to sleep at the same time and get at least eight hours sleep you need to drink water you need to have lots of veggies and stuff like that and you need to exercise once you've done those four things ring me back Mm. And then let's go forward from there because that's the answer to so Key ingredients. many ingredients. So many things. It's your base. You can't Key go, ingredients. So yeah. I'm like, and I and I now set people's um, those challenges to do that because look, I'm not going to speak to you again until you've done this at least. And if they want to help themselves, then they'll they'll do that. If mm. you come back, I'll be here for you, and I'll we'll talk through whatever you want. But let's let's set some goals and let's try and mm. work forward to some stuff. We were talking about obviously coaching. You've had a go with England, England Lions. That was that was something you, you said you enjoyed. Queensland, back home. Is there any possibilities of jobs there, and or do you still got aspirations of of coming with with England? Because you were about to go and help the Ashes tour, you know, because of I think a COVID contact, you, you couldn't do it. That's right. Yeah. So um, yeah, when I first went back into it, I wasn't sure, and and I've been on a number of like different coaching journeys. Um, so I was a full time coach with Queensland, doing under seventeens, under nineteens, and then batting coach for the Bulls which is the head and main team then I did some business and then I had a nice blend of some business mm. and just the batting coach for the Bulls players which was, was my favourite and then now I've added in I also trained some fighters well I say train them I hold pads for, for fighters so maybe you don't have to hit the bags mate or come down and hold some pads for you yeah, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. for me it's just balance it's just getting that balance because I've also got three kids who two boys who are really keen rugby players and yeah. they're they're hanging off every word and they want me to... So I'm almost like a personal trainer to my three kids because yeah. my daughter's like a really good athlete as well. So, But I feel like I'm, I've got a really good balance at the moment. Nothing amazing. You're not going to see me in the newspapers doing anything incredible, mm. but you know, batting coach for Brisbane uh, for, for the Bulls. I hold some pads for the, some pro fighters down there. I've got an r- amazing relationship with my kids and, uh, and I'm bringing in enough money to put food on the table. I'm not, certainly not, going on the Forbes rich list or anything <laughs> like that but it's enough to to lead a humble life and if I've got that balance then then I'm happy mm. like I don't I don't want my name up in lights I don't I don't want that I just happy going along having a peaceful like my life's been crazy from probably that time when we played that first series against Australia until just it's just crazy surrounded by crazy people and I'm just enjoying the last few years. I'm not, not my last few years of my life, hopefully, but I've enjoyed the last few mm. years that I've been. You know, is this the best place you've been? Uh, so I don't know. Probably I, since you know. Oh probably yeah, from from since from, Ben died. From yeah. Ben died. Yeah, a hundred percent. But I think that's also partly part of that. And I don't know if you've been through this as well, but is accepting that you're probably never going to be as happy as you were before. I, I've just part of that journey is I just know I'm never going to be as happy as I was before Graham and Ben died. So I don't know. That's just that's, you've accepted. That. I've accepted it. That's just it. And this is. It, it doesn't mean I'm I have to be incredibly unhappy. I just that might be unattainable. Might be unattainable again. Yeah, I, I don't know because so many times 
I've been through life and I thought, okay, I know everything there is to know about life now. And mm. then five years down the line, I'm like, I didn't know anything. Mm. Like, so I know that you move on. So I don't know. I think accepting life. things is a massive ingredient to progression in life. To say that you'll never be as happy again, I do understand what you're trying to say. Happiness is moments anyway. Mm. And I think you'll be able to have moments maybe for your children. There'll mm. be other times in life where we get those type of moments that just fit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and the moments and, are still there. I yeah. Think. But I think just always is the, just in the back of the mind, there's, there's always this... That's pain. This that's pain. trauma. There's pain. pain that's yeah, just yeah. always going to be there. Yeah. And i, I got to carry I have that. that. Ben was more or less like one of your children. He was. Because you've come over at such an early age, mum and dad's gone back, and you are now the guardian for Ben. So it's like losing a child. Ambitions. What's your ambitions now for your future? Um, okay, I'll, I'll put it this way. Like when the plane used to start bouncing around um, in the turbulence, I used to like hold my, oh, you know, is the plane going to crash? Are we going to die? In that moment, I would know it's because I was scared of dying. Now, when the plane starts bouncing around, I'm like, I don't care. I'm not scared of dying. I'm scared of not being there to look after my children. Mm. That's it. So is, is that, that's a real like humbling moment where you know exactly why. And to me, it's just, I just want my kids to be good and mm. I want them to be, and I don't care. Like, I've done my stuff. I've done my, I've done my things. And if I, when I die, there's things that you, all of us have done here, which will mm. be in history. They can't take that away. Yeah. Um, what more do you want? And now it's just memories with my kids oh, yeah. and, that, and that's it. It's not the key to happiness, but it's an avenue there and you've got a, a direction to, to go for. So I, I don't want to make, Millions. Of I mean, if someone wants to give me, it, I'm not going <laughs> to. But it's. Um, I'm not. I'm not after that. Adam, on behalf of myself and Leon, who is obviously I know you very, very well. I just want to say thanks very much for a fantastic it's show. It's been yeah. so, so good listening to you, man. Oh man, it's, like, it's great to meet you. Yeah. I've really, really enjoyed that, and can relate to you in so many ways. You know, so mm. I wish you nothing but the best and. I'm definitely going to take you up on the pad situation. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> it's nice. been I'll, great, man. You've been fantastic. I'll bring the towel, I'll mop your brow and I'll bring the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, good. guys. Brilliant. Thank you. It's been great.